Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And the day that we're recording this episode about HPV and the HPV vaccine, uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention here in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, their advisory committee on immunization practices gave its thumbs up for boys getting vaccinated at 11 years old and uh, HPV treatment for boys can start as young as age nine. And the CDC had already um, offered a, a blanket recommendation for doctors to recommend younger girls to get vaccinated for HPV. And now they're saying the same thing for uh, for boys. The FDA had already approved Gardasil for use, which is the HPV vaccine, one of two uh, FDA approved HPV vaccines. Uh, they'd already approved that for boys, I believe, in 2009. And now the CDC is coming back and saying that, uh, that yeah, do it. Yeah, uh, the more protection, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not all the news that we've seen recently. Um, there's been a lot in the news lately about head and neck cancers being on the rise because of HPV infections. And a lot of that is coming from, um, I guess, more people are having oral sex because they think it's safer than mm-hmm. vaginal or anal sex. Right. And so you're seeing these infections uh, pop up in the throat and, you know, in the back of the mouth. On the tongue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is why we wanted to revisit HPV. Um, Molly and I talked about uh, Gardasil and the HPV vaccination for boys quite a while ago. But since it has been popping up in the news and since it is the most common STI, commonly transmitted STI, according to the CDC, it's always good to talk about the human papillomavirus because there are more than 40 types of it. It is everywhere. Um, not to, not to be all scare tactic about it, but the chances of contracting HPV are frighteningly high. Right. And chances are you won't even notice if you have it. A a lot of people will not notice that they have it because they won't get any side effects. They won't get genital warts necessarily. Mm -hmm. The the strains of HPV that cause genital warts are not the same as the strains that cause cervical cancer and other types of cancer. So you might just be passing it on to people and not even know it. Right. Um, This is coming from the CDC. They point out that most infected people don't realize that they're infected or passing along the virus. And it's also possible to get more than one type of HPV. Mm-hmm. And just to put some numbers around this uh, and to freak out everyone listening, 50% of sexually active adults will have HPV at some point in their lifetime. And when you break that down by different um, age and gender demographics, that percentage can go up even higher. I want to say that it's something like women um, over 60 Something like 80% of them at some point will have come in contact or contracted HPV. And right now, uh, that translates to about 20 million Americans who currently have HPV and an additional 6 million who get infected every year. Right. That is insane. Right. Um, and yeah, you know, the milder forms, like I said, 
tend to, they can clear up, you know, your body will fight off an infection, but it's those scarier strains that you have to really worry about. And that's why it's so important for sexually active women to get um, a cervical exam, a pap smear mm-hmm. every year at least. Right. And that's also why there's been a big um, health push in the past few years for girls to get Gardasil or Cervarix uh, HPV vaccines. Um, and it's a series of three shots and girls can get them from starting at age nine and up to the age cutoff is 26 years old. And the whole rationale behind starting the HPV vaccine so early is to, um, to get them vaccinated before they have any kind of sexual contact with anyone else. Right. And that's caused a stir with a lot of parents, a lot of politicians, because, you know, a lot of people are saying, I don't want this. This is an innocent little girl. Why mm-hmm. should we, you know, why should we think of her in terms of having sex? You know, she's too young for all of that. But the thing is, and one of the articles that I read about this pointed this out, um, is that a lot of parents don't know when their kids become sexually active. Right. And so there's an argument that um, maybe go ahead and protect your son or your daughter against HPV before right. before they start having sex. And right now, Virginia and Washington, D.C. are the only two local governments that mandate uh, I think it's only the girls, not the not the boys, although that might change with the CDC approval that happened today. They're the only two governments that mandate middle school age girls to get the vaccine as part of the whole measles, mumps, rubella immunizations uh, that they have to get in order to attend public school. And Governor Rick Perry, who is running for the uh, the GOP ticket, has come under fire from some of the other um, candidates out there because as governor of Texas, he actually um, uh, recommended a similar mandate for middle age, middle, <laughs> middle age girls, <laughs> middle school aged girls in uh, in Texas, which he since uh, recanted. Right. Um, talking about the boys, though, since they are half of the equation here, in February of this year, a study was published in the New England Journal of Medicine showing that boys and young men who received the HPV vaccine appeared to be at a reduced risk of, contra- of contracting the virus and developing genital warts associated with it. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they studied about 4,000 sexually active males between the ages of 16 and 26, and about 0.5% who received all three shots, the full series, developed genital warts during the subsequent two to three years that they were followed. Um, about 2.8% of males who received the placebo ended up developing warts. And because of that efficacy rate, the HPV vaccine is now on the American Academy of Pediatrics list of recommended vaccines for boys. And one of the study's um, lead authors use this as an example, um, or I guess a reason why the burden of vaccination against the, uh, HPV, and because it is so widespread, mm-hmm. should not just solely rest on girls and women, even though obviously cervical cancer can only affect females. But cervical cancer is only one of many things, such as genital warts or mm-hmm. cancers of the anus or penis uh, mm-hmm. that can also affect men. Right. Uh, Joel Pilevsky, one of the one of the lead authors of the study, said that the burden of vaccination should definitely not fall solely on girls and women. He does say that the disadvantage of a universal vaccination program for males would it would be costly. But also, he says the most serious diseases caused by HPV, such as cervical cancer, only affect women. 
And I don't like, I mean, I, I get that, but mm-hmm. I mean, where are the women getting HPV? Right. You know, if we vaccinate from both sides, then hopefully everyone could be all around protective. Exactly. And especially because a lot of these, um, health links to HPV, um, have been coming out lately. It seems like, yes, uh, we should be taking more of a, the two-pronged approach. For instance, uh, earlier this year, the American Cancer Society identified 35,000 new cases of oral and oropharyngeal, basically uh, mouth and throat cancers, and they linked that to people who were already infected with HPV. In a study published October 3rd in the Journal of Clinical Oncology, found that HPV is contributing to a growing number of head and neck cancers in the U.S., like we said. Um, these oropharyngeal cancers have been rising since the 1980s, and it could be that there's this increase, like I said, increase in number of people having oral sex because they think it's safer. And so I just think it's important that we reiterate that just because you're not having vaginal or anal sex, right? you know, just because the chance of pregnancy is lower right doesn't mean that the chance of contracting a disease is lower and just to get an idea of of how large that jump has been uh, the virus was found in 16 percent of those 1980s samples and in 2000 or sorry in samples collected after the year 2000 that percentage jumped to 72 percent which is one reason why uh, Dr. Kevin J. Cullen, who's the director of the Greenbaum Cancer Center at the University of Maryland, said, quote, it's very clear that this is becoming a major epidemic. Right. And Cullen wasn't involved in this particular study, but he's been doing his own research, very similar research in Baltimore, and has seen similar increases in these cancers the past 30 years. Um, Dr. Maura Gillison, the lead researcher in the study, though, says don't panic there are still fewer than 10,000 cases a year, and not everyone with HPV gets cancer, um, which is true. Right. But the cancers that happen are not pretty. Um, these oropharyngeal cancers are tumors that occur in the base of the tongue in the area just behind the mouth, including the soft palate, the tonsils, and the side and back walls of the throat. And they can contribute to breathing problems, changing in, in voice and all that. And unfortunately, there's no screening test for oropharyngeal cancers. Mm-hmm. Um, and 95% of those cancers, they're referred to as HPV-positive cancers, which basically means that doctors were able to identify HPV strains in that person who also had developed cancer. Um, and it was caused by a strain, HPV-16, which is a strain targeted by Gardasil and Cervarix. And we should point out that those two FDA-approved HPV HPV vaccines don't target all 40 mm-hmm. plus strange of, strains of HPV, but the most cancerous ones. Right. The most dangerous. Yeah. Um, now, what's interesting is that there are two types of oropharyngeal cancers that doctors and researchers have identified. Those caused by alcohol and tobacco and those caused by HPV. And of those, HPV accounts for 70 percent of those cancers. So it's not even like tobacco smoking, whatever, is causing most of the cancers. Mm-hmm. It's it's HPV causing most of these. And part of that is because smoking has decreased so much. Between 1984 and 2004, HPV-positive cancers increased 225%, while HPV-negative oropharyngeal cancers dropped 50%. And that's related to probably the reduction in smoking and tobacco use. But... 
the silver lining to this terrible, terrible cloud yeah. is that patients with HPV positive cancers do live longer. Um, tumors in these patients tend to have less genetic damage and are therefore more responsive to cancer therapies. And there's a 60% reduction in the risk of death after these patients' diagnosis. Um, and speaking of smoking, uh, there was some news recently, uh, again, <laughs> linking HPV to lung cancer. And this is coming from the International Agency for Research on Cancer. And it found that people with lung cancer were significantly more likely to have several high-risk forms of HPV antibodies already in their bodies, kind of like what we were talking about uh, with the HPV positive mm-hmm. cancers, the oral um, oropharyngeal cancers. Right. And this was consistent across people who smoked, who quit smoking who had never smoked so they they took that they took that into account whether you smoked and um yeah it was consistent for everybody but the researchers did point out that they weren't exactly sure what type of role the HPV virus might have been playing mm-hmm. so that's why i keep saying that there's been uh, they've uncovered correlations right. but they're not exactly sure um what the causation might be so more research is needed right. but there has been a clear pattern established. Right. There's a link, and um, the researchers are calling for more studies to happen. Um, it's not like if you get HPV, you're then going to contract lung disease in the next, lung cancer in the next year or anything. But it's just something that they want to take a look at. And as if uh, as if things couldn't get even worse, there was a story from the New York Times that I found yesterday um, reporting on a study finding that women infected with HPV were two to three times as likely as uninfected women to have a heart attack or stroke. And that was from the Journal of the American College of Cardiology. Again, they're still working out this whole correlation causation issue. But when they adjusted for heart risks like smoking, blood pressure, and weight, they still found that women with HPV were 2.3 times as likely as those without, without the virus to have heart disease. That's nuts. Yeah, that's really scary. And and it's it's interesting to me that all of these terrible things are coming out about HPV, but I feel like a lot of people still treat it as this like, eh, whatever. I mean, it'll clear up. Right. And I mean, it, it does for a lot of people. A lot of time. Yeah, I think it's 90 percent of the time the your immune system will naturally work it out in about two years. Right. But it's just, you know, it's it's those more dangerous strains that obviously are causing a lot more problems for, right. for a certain amount of people. And one thing that a lot of these doctors have pointed out, too, um, is if they can understand the role that HPV may or may not be playing, then they can better personalize treatment. And especially right. with all these uh, these cancers that it's being linked to, it could possibly improve cancer treatment. Yeah, exactly. Um, HPV infection causes this thing called cervical dysplasia. So when you go to get your pap smear and your doctor takes a look-see and things don't look right, um, you, you basically have some mild dysplasia. It could be mild, moderate, or severe. And it's just when things don't look right. There's some abnormalities in the cells on your cervix. Mm-hmm. So if you if your doctor finds that you have dysplasia, you have a couple of options. Uh, you can get your well, your doctor will want to have a colposcopy, a mm-hmm. colpo, which is a closer look. Basically, they use this thing that looks like a tiny set of binoculars. It's a microscope uh, that helps examine the vulva, vaginal walls, and the cervix for abnormalities. And they might want to do a biopsy to get an even better, an even better look. And Caroline, you mentioned earlier that uh, it's so important for women to get those regular pap smears and identifying dysplasia, cervical dysplasia 
is one of the reasons why, because it isn't cervical cancer necessarily, and it might spontaneously regress, Mm -hmm. but um, you need to know whether or not it's going on so that it doesn't develop into something worse. Right. It would be terrible to just leave it alone and then have it actually develop into into cervical cancer, because some of those, I mean, some of those cells could be precancerous. Mm -hmm. Um, and in a certain chunk of the population, it can actually, even after you have the dysplasia taken care of through, through several different means, it can come back. It can recur. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple different treatments in the destruction and ablation category. You can have, this sounds like space age stuff. I know. Kind of <laughs> cool. You can have a carbon dioxide laser photo ablation which uses an invisible beam of infrared light to vaporize the abnormality. And don't worry, you get numbed prior to this <laughs> procedure. Um, and there's also cryocautery, which uses nitrous oxide to freeze the abnormality. Different strategies are removal slash resection. You can get a LEAP procedure, loop electrosurgical excision procedure, which uses radio frequency to remove the abnormalities. Um so if basically the, the what we're trying to say is if uh, cervical dysplasia is identified, doctors can take care of it. In about ten percent of women, they um, they do have a recurrence of it. Mm-hmm. But again, it's just underscoring the importance of right. um, healthy sexual behavior mm-hmm. and regularly seeing your gynecologist. Yeah. And I mean, there is definitely reason to be optimistic if you don't. I mean, don't freak out if your gynecologist tells you that. They've spotted some dysplasia because the therapies that I just listed um, have been shown to reduce the risk of developing cervical cancer by 95% in the first eight years after treatment. So it's not like, I mean, you know, you're not going to die. It's, you're okay. <laughs> Don't worry. Just keep going to your doctor. Keep going to that old doctor. So even though it might, might have sounded like we, we, <laughs> we've put, we're putting the fear of, of God into everyone about HPV. I think it's, um, there's still a long way to go in terms of maybe bridging the gap between public health needs and knowledge. Right. Because even in the U.S., even though the CDC recommends routine vaccination against HPV for girls and now for boys, only 32% of 13 to 17-year-old girls have been fully vaccinated compared to Canada, uh, which has 51 to 85%. Coverage. Right. Canada and the U.S. are just two countries, according to a report from the Pan American Health Organization uh, that they did in collaboration with the CDC, um, who have the HPV vaccine as part of a national or regional immunization program. The other two are Panama and Mexico. And Mexico only just recently instituted um, a national program in September of this year. Um, and data from 182 municipalities representing a small amount, less than 10% of the population in 2009, indicated that two-dose coverage was 67%. And so they haven't gotten the data for how many people have gotten the third dose. Mm -hmm. And there is a challenge right now because um, the vaccine is not cheap. I think it costs, it's a three-round shot treatment, Mm -hmm. and it comes up to over $300. Um, and so it's not, it's not affordable for a lot of low and middle income countries, mm-hmm. much less low and middle income families. If they don't have health insurance, a lot of health insurances will cover the HPV vaccine and the CDC, um, even has a program set up to help 
low income families um, get vaccinations for adolescents and children. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, there's still there's still a big gap out there especially in the United States. Right. I just think uh, a lot of people need a lot more knowledge. Right. Um, you know, everything that we've talked about has shown that um, HPV, there's there's so much more to HPV than just than just genital warts. Yeah. I mean, it can really it can really work a number on you, unfortunately. Yeah. And uh, we should not be deceived into thinking, like you said, that oral sex is somehow safer in terms of contracting the most commonly transmitted STI right. uh, because it can... And does happen, which is why it is the most commonly transmitted STI. Right. Safe sex, people. Safe sex. Or abstinence. Um, and I say abstinence specifically because, well, A, it is an option. Mm-hmm. And B, because uh, we had a younger listener write us recently asking why it seems like, you know, we tend to imply that people are always having sex. Well, maybe we do sound like that. But I think that... Um, we're just trying to do our best to help educate people yeah. about uh, scary issues that are out there and that it would be horrible if you did have sex and were not armed with any knowledge whatsoever. So yeah. while we would love it if you would talk to your parents, your guidance counselors, and your doctors, not everybody does. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're not telling you to go out and have lots of sex or anything. Um, we're just telling you to, if you do, be smart about it. Yeah. Safe sex practices, be healthy, and all of that. Uh, so, speaking of listener mail, our email address is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And I have an email here from Scott. And this is in response to our episode on women on television. And he writes, I was in second grade when Cheers premiered. I never missed an episode. Who was this seven-year-old Southern boy's favorite character? The sports star? The cute and lovable coach? No. Diane Chambers quickly became <laughs> my favorite character in all of television. And I realize now was a template for how, for the way I would view women. Her humor, both intelligent and sarcastic. Her way of not letting anyone push her around just because they thought they could. Come to think of it, Cheers was full of strong, independent female characters. Yeah. yeah. I really, like Cheers too. I enjoyed that one. Um, so if you have any thoughts to send our way, momstuff at howstuffworks.com is the email address and you can find us over on Facebook and Twitter at momstuffpodcast. And you can check out the blog during the week. It's stuff mom never told you at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House of Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House of Works iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?